I'm Coulter DeVries with RanchInvestor.com. We give you the tools to build and manage wealth through ranch ownership. I'm Andy Ron, accredited rural appraiser and creator of Montana Land Source, the ultimate resource for the Montana land market. Montana Land Source is the only place where you can find all large acreage listings on the market in Montana today, as well as recent sales. We provide maps, market statistics and analysis, and Montana land news and events. Find us at mtlandsource.com. Hi, I'm Denver Gilbert, licensed broker and owner of Clark & Associates Land Brokers. We've been helping buyers and sellers of farm and ranch properties in six states since 2005. We've been averaging a little over $100 million in ranch real estate sales annually. Episode 3, we have mitigation.org, and this is extremely intriguing. Uh, This is a part of investing in rural western lands that is not widely known but I think it's a huge opportunity in the future. I think it's going to be a huge market. And I was really excited when uh, the guys from mitigation.org reached out to me on some pasture in Montana. Uh, Let's start with getting Mark and Kobe to introduce themselves and uh, what they're working on and uh, the idea behind this market. Cool. Uh, so this is Kobe Weinberg. I'm a, I'm an analyst at Magnolia. Uh, so mitigation.org is our, is our website, uh, but our company name is uh, Magnolia Land Partners. And so we're a mitigation or conservation banking company, and we work with large scale developers to help them with their ecological and wetland, wetland impacts on their projects. Um, so these range from endangered species impacts to wetlands and stormwater impacts. And we sell credits to help them uh, be in compliance with the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Water Act. Um, Mark, you, you, can, you can take it over from there if you want. Sure. So, yeah, most of our clients are, are uh, companies and public entities that are operating in sensitive habitats. So that could be endangered species habitats, that could be wetlands, riparian areas by streams, things like that. And uh, oftentimes they're, they're required or voluntarily choose to offset that, that impact by uh, restoring similar habitats or conserving similar habitats nearby. That's a process that's called mitigation. And they often will work with an organization like Magnolia in order to, uh, to do that, that offsetting. So in, uh, in, in, in the Western, most of our work, uh, so Kobe and I are both based out of uh, the Chicago office. A lot of our work to date has been in the Midwest and in the Northeast, and we are just now starting to develop some first of its kind projects further, further West in, in, in the country. Um, so yeah, we'd be happy to talk about some of the, the new projects that, that we're that we're doing um, in the Western states. Uh, did you catch? Did you catch my question about whether you guys do carbon credits? No, but um, currently we do not operate in the carbon market. But we've been uh, exploring opportunities to to get involved in that, and that's definitely a kind of a adjacent area to what we do. Sure. So the for a lender that's interested in enrolling their property in mitigation. Uh, Often they can can work with us to uh, develop mitigation credits on their property, and you can also layer that on top of a, of carbon credits. So 
there's often an opportunity to participate in both programs. You guys, you're, you're working in a two-sided marketplace. So you have landowners as the supply of these credits and the demand is companies like who? Uh, Exxon, Halliburton, who's buying these, these credits? So our primary clients are usually renewable energy developers. Um, and so that's kind of the, the primary demographic that we, that we work in. Is that where you, on your bill, you have the option of being green with your, with your energy because you're contributing in, in that market with that, with that producer of energy? No, so so ninety nine percent of the time when someone's purchasing credits from us, it's it's done um, on a compensatory basis. So in order to get their permit to be able to develop whatever it is they're looking to develop, they're required to offset any potential environmental impact. So it's not a voluntary market from the the credit purchaser's side. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, with our audience at Ranch Investor Podcast, uh, primarily what we're looking for are landowners and ranch investors, people who want to make a higher return from their land base. Um, what are you looking for for the supply side of these credits? In, in a landowner, who's your who's your market? So I can start with that answer. Um, so the landowners that we target kind of depends on the quality of the habitat of their land. So it can vary a lot throughout uh, throughout states, um, but a lot of that is determined by records of endangered species on their habitat or on the, the land that they own or records of wetlands uh, within the properties that, that they own. Yeah, Kobe, so you're I looking can piggyback on that. It, it, it depends. Uh, on the type of market and type of credit that we're looking to develop. And as you'd expect, if, if we're looking for a project uh, to develop sage grouse credits, then we're looking for projects that are in core sage grouse habitat. Um, in North Dakota, we're currently looking for landowners that have drained wetlands that we can uh, restore. So it, it really depends on, on the type of credit that we're looking to, to develop in order to determine the ideal landowner for that. But if, if we can make a general statement there, it's uh, the, our best partnerships are with landowners that are interested in earning additional income through voluntary conservation. So willing to, uh, to work with us to manage their land, not just for agricultural or, or other purposes, but also um, to ben benefit certain uh, natural resources as well. Would they be signing up for a, a management practice then? And would you be, would that be a conservation easement into perpetuity or a 30 year easement? Or would, would you have a lien on the title? If, if you're ideally, I mean, they're going to get paid for these practices or or habitat um, amenities features. Um, so then how do you protect your interest in, in that landowner? So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Sure. So it depends on, on the, the uh, type of market that we're, that we're participating in and the length of the agreement. We do do conservation easements, but for uh, Western states where we operate, more often than not, it's a 30 year a lease agreement. Um, so it's an agreement for the lender to manage their property in a certain way for 30 years. Um, 
there's often a uh, clause for them to buy out of the, the contract if they, if they want to change the use earlier. Um, there's, we don't usually have a lien on the property. We'll, we'll often record a memorandum of agreement on the chain title, but but uh, that's that's generally the the extent of it. The other way that we kind of encourage continued participation is um, through uh, payments being made on an annual basis. So upon demonstrating that you're complying with the the management, then you receive that year's payment. Do you, get, do you guys deal with uh, land transactions much? So you strike a deal with the landowner, but then that individual decides to sell. And then does it carry with the land or is it uh, only with the owner himself or herself? Uh, again, that one depends. It depends. <laughs> this is going to be the common refrain. It depends on, on the market that we're participating in. But generally, these agreements um, pass with the, the land um, and, and we often will have to deal with, or not deal with, we will often be working with, with multiple, uh, landowners, um, as, as properties change hands. And certainly for perpetual easements that happens, um, certainly at, at some point. Convincing landowners of a, a new market or a new program, uh, that's a very tough sell. And I wonder, are you, are you exploring or finding that? Maybe it's just going to be easier in the long term to do the buy, protect, sell that you buy the land itself, you implement your uh, protective conservation measures, and then you sell it as essentially an, uh, an encumbered property that um, even though you're going to take a discount on the resale, it's still worth it because the amount of time and effort that goes into working with landowners is that buying land outright, is that going to be a more efficient model for you guys? It, it, it might be, and it's something that we do do a, a, occasionally, but it's not our preferred approach. And part of that is, so Magnolia's a mission-driven company. One of the things that we're trying to do as a company is to uh, promote this idea of conservation not being in conflict with economic development and, and with other interests, but something that can be a cohesive part of, of how someone's managing their, their land. And so we prefer not to displace people from their property and would rather work with landowners to conserve their property. And we found that uh, having a landowner who, who knows their land intimately as a, as a part and partner of that project produces better uh, ecological outcomes. But yes, it, it can be a, a long education process and there's, uh, it, it, it can take a, a, a bit for, for people to warm up to the, the concept. Sure. So, so where does your funding come from? Is it all pre-funded by the end uh, beneficiary of these, these offsets and credits? Is it funded by, um, the developers or, or do you have donors and is this uh sounds like it's very mission and vision and value driven right now um i'm sure i'm going to add more questions to this question i'm sure you're optimistic about uh the new administration and the next farm bill to come and the amount of conservation that's going to be included in the next farm bill uh can you speak on on that the funding and and uh the future there were a few questions in there, right? 
So the first <laughs> was about the funding. Kobe, do you want to talk about the difference between different types of mitigation projects between a conservation bank and and and, and a project specific mitigation or uh, yeah, explain that difference. Yeah, I Mark, you might be better explaining that nuance than than I would, but I can hop in on some of those later questions. All right, go. So uh, sometimes we'll uh, engage with a company that needs to do a certain amount of mitigation. Say they've got a need for 100 acres of wetland restoration, and then we can go out and, 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 and do that work. So, um, or other times Magnolia will make an investment in an area where we develop a, a mitigation bank or a conservation bank. That's us taking private dollars, doing restoration. We receive a bank of credits that we can then sell to credit purchasers on, on, on the back end. So those are the two primary ways that, that we fund projects. Sometimes we'll get grant funding. For example, in, in Nevada, we received um, uh, money from a uh, revolving loan pool for, for sage-grouse projects uh, in, in, in that state. Um, haven't, haven't really gotten donations yet, but um, yeah, mitigation.org if anyone wants to, wants to volunteer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, your turn on my many questions. Yeah, there, there was one about the new administration and, and um, funding that may be included in the Farm Bill. Um, Correct. So we often view our programs as, as sort of an, an alternative or another option to, um, to funding through the NRCS or, or a, a program like that. Um, so it's, it's similar in many ways, but some of the advantages of, of going, um, through our, one of our conservation programs is you're dealing with a private entity. So we've got a little bit more flexibility in terms of what acreage and what, what areas we can enroll, um, the structure of the, the payments, whether it's more upfront, more uh, over time. And um, some people like being working with a private entity as opposed to, to going through um, what can be a, often a, a bureaucratic um, process. Uh, we have received funding through the last farm bill to help develop an agricultural mitigation banking program. So these are wetland banks, um, if you're all familiar with those, but exclusively for helping agricultural producers um, with wetland conservation compliance provisions, basically Swamp Buster. Um, so yeah, we, we've had a, a, a great partnership with the NRCS and, and that's a program that right now we're, we're, we're spreading that through Illinois, but um, are looking to expand westward as well. Aren't those uh, wetland mitigation uh don't both supply and demand have to be in the same basin or same same designated area they they have uh zones geographically yeah you're you're exactly right so we call those service areas and that's the area the extent around a a, a wetland bank where you can uh in which you can sell credits so yeah uh, I, I believe in good go ahead for uh, it's 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 often resource dependent. So for wetlands, it's usually based on a watershed. Um, for a species, it can be um, based on just uh, 
legal boundaries. So within within a state, or it can be range wide, or, or based on the extent of a particular population. Yeah, I believe I've heard in at least in Montana with wetland mitigation that there have been projects that haven't happened because there hasn't been identified, uh, you know, a supplier or a demand within the same basin. And obviously it's a, it's a new and developing market, but it hasn't really uh, taken off yet because of that. Right. And that's, that's often a limiting factor in, in being able to develop a project is uh, because we are um, a privately funded uh, company. We do need to um, have at least a reasonable shot of, of uh, generating a return, and and that's that hinges strongly on on the forecasted demand for these credits. So there are projects we'd like to be able to fund and, and restore and conserve, but we need to make sure that um, there are there's there's a decent prospect of being able to sell the credits. Yeah, and I've seen a few um, kind of overinflated or over. For, um, exuberant potential participants and they seem to have inflated ideas of um, the actual value and you know I've even been approached as an appraiser essentially so far in Montana you know they're just that the market hasn't been established enough so as an appraiser I can't you know really uh, come to a conclusion on that but it seems like uh, sometimes have distorted uh, idea of the, what values are involved have you seen is that a is that a common Scenario. I would say more often than not, when we're reaching out to a landowner, and uh, usually we're pretty proactive about our, our, our outreach. So when we contact a landowner and explain that we'd like to pay you to not cut down the trees on your property or to um, just to commit to keeping this grazing plan for the next 30 years, um, sometimes folks are, are familiar with mitigation, but uh, more often, uh, they're saying, what's the catch? And, and you want to pay me for, for what? So uh, I think as mitigation becomes more commonplace, perhaps um, we'll have to deal with uh, people hearing that they that uh, I heard credits are going for X dollars. Um, and, and that means that, that this, this land is, is um, has, has a certain value. But that, I, I wouldn't say that's commonplace. Well, that's, that's something uh, I want to lead into is for your sales and promotion, it seems like I, if I were a landowner, I would kind of, or an investor who's trying to maximize my annual return or appreciation, I'd kind of like to call you guys up and say, here's what I've got. What do you think? Do you, do you do any of that? If someone says I have 4,000 acres in Garfield County, Montana, um, is there, is there an opportunity here or are you cherry picking areas that you desire most? So I can, I can take that one. Um, so we don't get as much, as much inbound because also we're, we're still kind of figuring out what the, the market looks like uh, in Montana and also the, we're looking for specific areas that have high ecological value. So landowners aren't necessarily as uh, informed and kind of like those metrics and standards that we're looking for. So it's a little bit less on the uh, inbound side and more on us reaching out to, to landowners to say like, here, 
your property would uh, would qualify for this. While we while we do welcome uh, landowners with uh, large parcels to to reach out to us too. So uh, all markets are improved with transparency uh, as part of the efficient market hypothesis. We need some transparency. Is there is there uh, starting to be a good amount of data behind this that Andy, do you think you could work with this market? And if you guys have been to MontanaLandSource.com, um, you know, there's, there's an immense opportunity to track conservation easements, the values, mitigation credits, the values soon, carbon credits and their values. And that's going to, that's going to be varied based on precipitation and growing degree days and farming practices. But is there, is there going to be a mass database? And Andy, what are your thoughts? Is that something you could work with? If we had enough data points, that's, that's always the limiting factor with new, new markets. We would love to see the market get to a point where it, where it does have that efficiency and landowners can, can, can easily weigh the, the value of, of enrolling into a, in a conservation program as opposed to signing a lease for something else. Um, it's still early days. Um, so I, I, I think we'll get there uh, eventually where, where people will be, uh, will be able to, to, to get a better sense of we'll quickly see what, what the value of, of, of their property might be for different environmental markets. Um, there are tools that we're looking to, to build out over the, the, the coming years for people to be able to do that. Right now, what we offer is if anyone wants to reach out um, with their property information, we are more than happy to screen their property for different environmental markets, tell them what they may be able to qualify for. We never charge for any services and we can let them know if their their property might be a candidate for, for um, a market that um, that we participate in. The, the one kind of caveat there is um, just to kind of set expectations is, is that nine times out of 10, when uh, someone reaches out with a, with a property, it's not gonna be a great fit for, for um, an, an environmental market. Um, the ones that we participate in uh, with endangered species with uh, doing certain types of wetland and stream restoration um, require specific characteristics um, that most properties um, don't don't fit. But I encourage anyone who's interested in, in seeing whether um, their property might qualify for a program, reach out. Um, we can we can do a desktop analysis, turn that around in, in a day or two. I was going to ask you if you work with land trusts a lot, you know, who hold conservation easements, because I, I've, I've perceived that uh, they definitely, you know, do a pretty thorough job of knowing what programs are out there and, and layering programs for, you know, their clients doing easements. But then I kind of realized as I was thinking that through that um, if an easement's not involved then that land trust doesn't have that much incentive necessarily, uh, you know, to track every program out there, unless it, directly contributes to an easement. I mean, I, I guess it might help them uh, with working with a landowner that's interested in doing an easement and a program such as yours could could layer on top of that, even if even if the easement wasn't integral to it. But uh, do you work with land trusts much? Do they track um, these programs or is is it are they not 
fully incentivized if it's you know not actually securing an easement on a property. Kobe, do you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, we we work very closely with land trusts uh, land trusts throughout the U.S. Uh, they are typically our easement holders on those longer term or perpetual uh, leases that that we put out in Montana. We uh, have also done some outreach with some of the land trusts too, and what they would do in that situation, since we're looking for a shorter term lease, you know, in thirty plus year ranges, not in the perpetual range is they could do some of the management work and also work with the landowners on uh, like mm -hmm. rotational grazing or different practices that would need to be involved to maintain that ecological benefit on the site. So yeah, land trusts are absolutely a part of our business. And um, we, as Mark mentioned earlier, our most successful projects are those where we're working with local organizations. So we try to involve them as much as possible too. Well, and, and, Part of my question there is, can Andy was uh, getting at this as well. Can you piggyback uh, conservation efforts to optimize and maximize your returns? Can you do a conservation easement? And then like there's native energy in Chicago. They're working with Western Sustainability Exchange out of Livingston doing a carbon sequestration program. And they're going to do a 30-year encumbrance of your title to give you a hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, fences and water to improve your ranch so that you can rotate your cattle better and they're going to take your carbon credits but it works well for the ranchers so now can can i stack another one on there with you guys and say let's protect this wetland habitat can you start stacking these things and working with native energy and other uh other type of encumbrances and conservation programs like that? Yeah, you can. Um, sometimes there's a question of the, the order of, of uh, when you enter into different programs. Um, so can't say with absolute certainty that you'll be able to do a mitigation program on top of uh, carbon offset and, and uh, another easement. Um, so it, it is often on a case-by-case -case basis, or it, it is, it's on a case-by-case -case basis, uh, but typically you are able to, to stack or, or layer our program on top of another program. And then just to add on to that, in, in Montana, we have been talking to carbon programs too, to, to reach greater scale too, uh, and conserve uh, larger amounts of land. It makes me wonder if there's a niche for or evolving land management, land consulting, you know, or a private operator could keep a thumb on uh, tracking all these various programs and, and a landowner could call a, it's like a service, you know, like, like ranch management that used to revolve almost exclusively on, you know, ag production, but kind of developing into these alternative markets and, and tracking all the programs that are out there. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, best I've seen is the land trusts in terms of, you know, tracking the the conservation programs and, and whatnot. But uh, maybe there's a niche out there for private consulting. Sounds like, Andy, you, you just need a, an agent or a broker and one with a high level of competency who understands all these programs like and uh, where, where do but where are where do you find those like uh culture <laughs> degrees speaking in the third person. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's well, definitely a, an area where it seems to be to be going. Uh, a lot of these environmental markets are somewhat in their nascency, but are becoming more robust over time. And so uh, we, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but one day there probably will be a dashboard where you can plug in your your parcel number or whatever it is and see what programs that you're eligible for. And I think that that's uh, hopefully the mm -hmm. future that we're going toward. I like that. And uh, since this is budding and it's new, what can our audience, our listeners do for Magnolia and mitigation.org? So we're actively seeking landowners that are interested in participating in, in mitigation programs. Uh, primary focuses right now are North Dakota, Montana, Nevada. Um, in Montana and, and Nevada, uh, ranchers who um, have are within sage-grouse areas um, would, would love to, to, to talk in, in North Dakota. Primary focus right now is on wetland restoration, um, looking for, for landowners that have uh, previously drained wetlands um, that they'd be, be willing to, to restore um, or allow us to restore on, on their property. These would all be limited term leases. Um, so max 30 years. Um, and yeah, well, our, our, we are eager to do more projects. We've got the funding available to, to put more restoration in the ground. The limiting factor right now is just uh, getting connected to, to landowners that, that are interested in um, conservation income. So I have a question for you guys about sage grouse specifically. Mm -hmm. In Montana over the last good couple years, uh, the, the sage grouse initiative has funded a large amount of conservation easement work in eastern Montana. Um, before that, uh, conservation easements weren't that um, viable in eastern Montana because there's not a lot of development potential so that that foundation wasn't really there, but then there was a, suddenly a lot of money for, for sage grouse and that, that funded a lot of Eastern Montana work. And I believe uh, those programs are still still out there and still available. So how does your program, if a, if a landowner is in Eastern Montana and has great sage grouse habitat, how's the calculus for, you know, whether to just do an easement through, um, you know, fish, wildlife and parks versus some kind of mitigation program? It's very similar. This is just a private alternative. Um, hopefully we're able to provide better terms. Hmm. Well, let's, um, Mark and Kobe, since I now know that you're actively looking in Montana for sage-grouse core area, let's, let's follow up after this. And uh, I might be able to put you in touch with a few landowners. Uh, uh, most of our listeners, though, we're finding are... Uh, in, the, in the urban areas, we have a strong presence from Dallas, Seattle, Minneapolis. What can those listeners do for you guys aside from donate? Are there any endangered species in those in those areas that <laughs> do you guys do urban, urban endangered species mitigation? <laughs> we don't do any urban endangered species mitigation. We do do urban stormwater projects. Oh, there you so, go. Uh, uh, rain gardens, things like that. Uh, um, to reduce urban flooding is, is a, a new initiative of, of ours. Our urban listeners invest in these markets and credits. Say I, say I live in St. Paul 
and speculate on buying 50,000 credits at $50,000 today, hoping that they're worth $200,000 in two years. Is that a thing yet? Typically, once Coulter's angling are... for the next GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> GameStop. Hopefully no one's shorting any of our mitigation environmental credits. <laughs> funny. Uh, typically, you can't resell the credits. So um, the um, it, it wouldn't work that way. Um, we're not currently seeking any additional investors for um, projects on, on, under development, but if there are, uh, I'm trying to think about ways that we've worked with, with folks that are, are more urban areas. Sometimes what we'll, we'll hear is, is um, people who are interested in investing in recreational land, yeah. um, they're looking for ways to finance that. Um, and uh, occasionally we'll, we'll have to purchase property as opposed to partner with the landowner to, to do a conservation easement. So there are there have been landowners who are, are interested in, you know, is, they would like to buy a mitigation property because they know they can get it for a better price if they're comfortable having a conservation easement on, on, the, on, on the, the property, if there are those types of, of landowners. Um, works really well, well for hunters. Um, that's, feel free to reach out. Um, have a lot of opportunities there. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we have a national footprint and, and uh, different opportunities seem to, to pop up um, on, on, on a regular basis. So um, you never know if there's someone who's interested in a particular area. Um, like I said, we're, we're, we're happy to, um, to do uh, evaluations of, of properties, um, can do that really quickly, um, and, uh, see if there's an opportunity to work together. I think there was, um, a lot of interest in this kind of thing in the general run-up of the market in the nineties, late nineties and two thousands. Um, there were even, uh, quite a few brokers in Montana that even kind of put themselves out there as conservation brokers. And that's when I mentioned earlier that there was some distorted, uh, I, I've experienced uh, distorted perceptions of value and stuff that it was really kind of coming from that side, even, even quote unquote conservation developers that, you know, were, it just was a popular idea, but probably an idea that was um, before its time. A lot of these you know, we're, we're discussing today in 2021 that is, this is still a new and young and emerging market. And, you know, I'm talking about 20 years ago. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, as we move forward, um, I would expect like a lot of things, you know, when they're first out of the gate, there, there can be a lot of speculation and a lot of um, exuberance and enthusiasm that maybe isn't based you know, on the, on, on any real markets. And that's what I've experienced as an appraiser. But I think a big takeaway for me and all this is that there's just, um, there are opportunities out there, not necessarily for every property, like you've kind of outlined it's, it's unique properties. I mean, to, to, I think the point that Levy or Levy is, uh, is getting at is, is important that these markets are still being developed and we're also seeing a lot of growth and use of satellite imagery and AI and other machine learning technologies that I think will create more precise 
uh, quantification of ecological benefit, which I think is also pretty exciting. I do need to follow up both of you too for uh, sage grouse in Montana. And uh, one final ask of our audience, um, what's most important for our listeners to know and where to go if they're interested in what they've heard? Yeah, I would, I would say our website is a pretty good place to go. There's a, a contact button that people can reach us through or they can uh, reach out uh, directly to using our uh, our emails as well. But, you know, folks know that they have land that's in core sage grouse habitat and are looking to preserve it and, you know, save the sage grouse, uh, definitely, definitely reach out uh, in Montana and then elsewhere, uh, some of the other states and markets that Mark listed, I think are important too. Yep. Uh, mitigation, that's M-I-T-I-G-A-T-I-O-N dot O-R-G, mitigation.org. And uh, sage grouse habitat, another really big one for us right now um, is, is uh, landowners in, in, in North Dakota. Um, we are looking for a significant amount of land there. Uh, so anyone with uh, that's Kobe still there? I'm still here, Mark. We can, we can just have a little discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we just got electricity last year so bear with us <laughs> we understand the technical difficulties then yeah it's a gradual process <laughs> thank you very much thanks guys thanks so much appreciate guys. it everyone take care thank you for joining us today on ranchinvestor.com podcast we have a few things of note uh, some housekeeping to take care of Coulter DeVries is a licensed real estate broker in Montana and Wyoming. Andy Ron is a Montana certified general appraiser and accredited through the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. Denver Gilbert is a licensed real estate broker in four states. I say this because there are still 12 states that are non-disclosure, meaning we do not have the privilege of releasing private and confidential information from certain land markets. We have fiduciary and agency relationships that we take very seriously and would not seek to compromise these duties. In this podcast, we do not report information pertaining to specific clients or market participants unless it is public knowledge. Our reporting is not to be misconstrued as legal or financial advice, even though we may have opinions as to what one ought to do when it comes to ranch and land investing. Advice is only worth what you pay for it, and you are receiving this for free. So if you would like further information, please reach out to any of the hosts or guests on your own accord. We enjoy hearing your feedback, so please post any questions or comments to our Ranch Investor private group on Facebook. If you do not have Facebook, please send to comments at ranchinvestor.com. And thank you for listening.